Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. As a small business owner, you are the business, and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple, and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance, and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business, and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian PowerPay. Applications are now open for the Canadian Export Challenge, CXC 2020, presented in partnership with UPS, the Trade Commissioner Service, and Export Development Canada, along with MasterCard and Scotiabank, and powered by Google Canada, is the first nationwide fully digital pitch competition for Canadian exporters. This year, the Canadian Export Challenge will be accepting all first-round pitches through online video submissions. Don't miss your chance to pitch for up to $25,000 cash and up to $100,000 in support. What are you waiting for? Submit your pitch video now. The free events are open to attend for all Canadian entrepreneurs and anyone interested in learning more about the Canadian export ecosystem. Register at startupcan.ca forward slash CXC. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit Magazine, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and will share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Charles Habooth, CEO of Inc. Entertainment in Toronto. Charles has been an entrepreneur, a visionary, and a fashion icon in the Canadian nightlife scene since the early 1980s with Toronto's groundbreaking Club Z and his legendary nightclub, Still Life. Charles's determination and risky out-of-the-box ideas have helped launch Toronto's now-thriving hospitality industry. Named by EY as Ontario's 2018 Entrepreneur of the Year in the entertainment and hospitality category, Charles has made a career of elegantly fusing art and commerce. This has led him to expand his professional activities to include restaurateur and hotelier in Toronto and beyond. Pushing the envelope whenever he can, Charles is the very essence of an artist and entrepreneur. He gives the public what they want before they know it themselves. Charles Habooth, welcome to the show. 
Thank you for having me. Uh, we're delighted to have you. You've been a, an, a groundbreaking entrepreneur for a long time. Uh, before we get into your story, I just want to ask you, because we like to give our entrepreneurs, we're all busy people like you, give them some idea of what they're going to hear about in this conversation. So what, do you, what are the key points or pieces of advice that you'd like to get across in this episode? Um, I think for anybody uh, who's you know, starting out any any entrepreneur, I think it's very important to be focused and have a target. Um, what you know, it's important to have a concept, to have a target, um, uh, to understand your audience uh, and what they're looking for or not looking for that you can provide that might be new and interesting, and exciting, which is what really drives me. I'm not known to be somebody who copies, but somebody who comes up with new ideas and, and thoughts. Um, putting in the work is really crucial. Um, th there is no such thing as luck. In my opinion, luck plays a very small role. So uh, it's what you put into it. Um, it's the amount of preparation that you do that really will uh, determine uh, what you end up with. All right. Thank you so much. I, I'm eager to get into that, but let's go back to the beginning. You, you've been doing so many things for a long time. So how can you sum up for us your entrepreneurial journey from Lebanon to Toronto and Miami and beyond? I mean, uh, you know, I started when I was 22 and uh, um, I, I, I went out one night with a friend to a nightclub and thought, I can do better. I, you know, <laughs> we're talking 1983, and and uh, the city was really. I, I mean, I, in the last 37 years, uh, the city has grown exponentially. It's insane the growth the city of Toronto has seen. Uh, but back in 1983, uh, nightclubs. Uh, for me, looking back now, feel and look like you're uh, in the Flintstone age. Uh, <laughs> very disorganized. Uh, the design was strictly mirrors everywhere and brass. Uh, people dressed up with a suit and tie, went out dancing, and halfway through the night, they, you know, they'd be sweating. And it, it just, it was very, uh, you know, in its infant stages, in my opinion, back then, especially in Toronto. And from there, I moved on uh, from Club Z, which I owned for many years and, uh, uh, you know, struggled in the beginning, considering I was 23 years old. I was um, not well-funded, which is a huge issue. And there was no such thing as social media. So getting your point across uh, and letting people know was very, very difficult of anything new. Um, that's really interesting. How did you get the word out? I mean, you'd hope for buzz, but how do you manage buzz? Well, I'll tell you, I um, came, I, I was about a week away from getting shut down by the landlord because after three months I had not paid my rent. Oops. And I had uh, a friend of mine who mentioned to me that there was uh, someone he knows who had a the 650 pound tiger, but he couldn't afford to feed him and he was struggling. So we decided to bring the tiger and put him in my office, which was facing the street. Of course, I put, you know, bars on and it happened to be a Halloween night. <laughs> so we did this huge event and we, you know, the club was very close to Young Street. So we had fire eaters outside and we were pulling people off the street. Some of them were clubbers, some of them were not clubbers. But um, 
we got a lot of attention from the press <laughs> and uh, uh, you know the the, the uh, tiger broke the glass but couldn't get out uh, had his paw out and all the press came and the every single um, paper um, in Ontario at least um, had a big picture of the club the tiger with his paw outside and the caption was how much is that tiger in the window of course <laughs> and I, I promise you within two three weeks after uh, we started getting uh, big crowds that are coming down to see the club and um, trying to see you know all the new things we were doing I was always ahead of what everybody else was doing in the club it was most of the clubs back then uh, were in hotels the whole food and beverage industry in the early 80s late 70s belonged to hotels hmm. every hotel had a nightclub had a restaurant had a bar there was very 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 few uh, food and beverage outlets in the 70s uh, early 80s outside um, hotels so uh, this was uh, a new trend. Uh, I stayed open late. Um, I started traveling across the U.S. to buy music because back then you were limited to two stores in Toronto to buy music. And I was one of the first people ever to bring house music into Canada, which is uh, when it was starting out in, um, you know, 82, 83. So I had to step and get out of you know, the norm and out of the box and and travel and, and bring ideas and thoughts and anything that was not the norm um, is what got my attention. Hmm. Give me an example uh, of some more non-normal things other than tigers. Uh, well, I had um, <laughs> I had uh, fire eaters outside the, the club. Uh, we we uh, we brought music from all across the U.S. Um, we did. I was the first. This was one. in the pre. This was in the pre Spotify days, right? Some people oh, might not be able to get before. that. <laughs> I was the first uh, straight club uh, in Toronto to do a drag queen show uh, um, at night. Uh, so all of a sudden, these drag queens would come out on the stage and do a show, which was completely out of what was the norm. Absolutely. You know, it's. I'm, we're talking 1983 here. Um, the gay community was still very much underground. Um, the straight crowd had never seen a drag show. Um, so I did anything and everything out of the ordinary. I built a, a bathroom that was communal, a unisex bathroom. I had a men and women's. I created a, a video lounge and I had a friend from New York send me these outrageous videos that people would go into these rooms. And so it, I created um, a very interesting environment for people to come and spend an evening, watch a show, have music they had never heard before, watch videos uh, that were not um, your typical video in the early 80s. It was just like a music video with baggy pants and shoulder pads. And these were done um you know uh, exclusively for us very um you know uh, uh, you know very uh, completely not what videos were like back then they were very choppy but funny and sexy and people would sit there for an hour or two and watch video um also unisex washroom i think we were the first one and i don't know if it was legal back then or not <laughs> 
<laughs> but a lot Amazing. of people enjoyed it, you know, and they'd go in and there was, you know, cubicles were separated, but then um, where your, your wash uh, basin was in the middle and then men and women were all of a sudden. So, it, you know, we, we did things to attract people that were looking for a change. Um, Fantastic. Let's fast forward to February 2020 and tell me what Ink Entertainment looked like at that point. Well, we definitely have become, um, uh, the, I believe, the leading company in Canada and probably unlike any other company in the U.S., uh, by way of our offering, I mean, we are a company uh, that is a lifestyle company that offers amazing food and beverage, uh, entertainment. So to give you an example, we opened um, two and a half years ago um, a four-star high-end boutique hotel mm-hmm. with uh, three restaurants in Toronto called Bisha, which is my real name when I landed here. So the hotel is named after my real Lebanese name, which is Bisha. How do you spell Bisha? And B-I-S-H-A. And uh, <clears throat> that hotel has, uh, you know, uh, three restaurants, has a bar, has a cafe, um, an event space, um, a rooftop uh, pool that was named one of the 10 dreamiest pools in the world because of the view and, and the environment. Uh, we also own and run the biggest nightclubs in, in Canada. We have an outdoor patio that holds 5,000 people. We have a nightclub that holds about four and a half to 5,000 people, concert venues. We do three of the, two of the biggest festivals in Canada. One of them is called Veld. It's uh, on its ninth year and it does about 85,000 people. Uh, in Toronto, we have, we're partners and, um, help run um, a festival in Montreal. And we had just launched and partnered up to do a festival in Ottawa that's now three years old, uh, that unfortunately is not happening. We own uh, about 18 restaurants uh, in Canada. We operate a restaurant in Dubai. We've had a restaurant in Montreal for eight years. We've had a restaurant in Miami for five or six years. And by the end of this year, we will have a total of five restaurants in Miami, totaling about 1,300 seats in Miami. That Two of them should have been open by now. Unfortunately, we're holding back. Also, we own an art gallery and in the process of buying another gallery in New York City. So we have our own uh, art gallery here in Toronto. Um, tell, tell me how art galleries fit into this wild nighttime lifestyle culture well you know what i'm known for is for fusing uh you know fusion for me is really important so um having art in our own restaurants um having an an art gallery showing uh every couple of weeks with a big artist and the art gallery is connected to the restaurant i mean there's just a hallway in between so we introduce uh, people to the art gallery through the restaurant. We introduce people to the restaurant through the art gallery. Um, we fuse, you know, multiple uh, lifestyle properties uh, uh, one into another, and people do enjoy that. They don't. People don't go out just to eat. Uh, 
people don't go to hotels just to sleep. That's no longer the norm. People are always interested of the extra activity or what else can they uh, enjoy while they're at the restaurant or if they're at a gallery, you know, is there an opportunity to hang out after or before or during in a bar environment, have a drink in a sophisticated environment. Um, right. I, I, and that's what we produce. Yeah, that's fa- that's fantastic. I, I read that you called Bisha the hotel, uh, a, a fusion between the Four Seasons and the W Hotels, right? So that, yes, that's a consistent I mean, I, theme. I'm a, yes, I, I travel about um, maybe sometimes 150 days a year, 140 days a year. And I always have a hard time deciding where to stay because I do like being pampered and the luxury of the Four Seasons. But, it, you, know, you know, I find like it's sometimes a little too old for me or too mature or a little stiff absolutely and when i stay at a place like the w it's lively it's fun but i don't get the attention from the concierge the same as the four season i don't get as you know the same uh, attention the details and my whole company is built around details it's something that we embed in all staff and um, details are very crucial so for me bisha was about Mary in luxury with a hip and cool environment. We have, I think, 3,800 pieces of art in the rooms and in the lobby. Some of it is my own, uh, wow. uh, my own uh, collection. Um, we have three DJs in the building um, every weekend, um, different restaurants, different music. Uh, the environment is lively, yet when you get into your room, or when you need uh, someone to take care of you, you are extremely well taken care of. And, you know, we have quickly become uh, one of the top 10 in Toronto. And usually it takes much longer and a lot of work to get there. There's quite a few great hotels in the city. So for us to have reached that in such short period of time is amazing. That's fantastic. Charles, you mentioned Fusion is your theme in bringing different concepts together. Wondering if you see other opportunities for maybe other entrepreneurs to do that in other areas of life, um, in hospitality or beyond into other sectors. How else could Fusion enhance our lives and what could entrepreneurs do to bring that new type of exciting creativity to their businesses? Well, I think depending on the business you're in, um, sometimes you feel that everything or most of it has been accomplished until somebody comes out and starts um, adding uh, more, you know, more strength, more power, new ideas to whatever business they're in. And uh, sometimes it comes out of, uh, I don't want to say desperation, but when people are struggling, they start thinking a little harder. How can I... Um, how can I uh, fuse something new into this type of business? And uh, actually in the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. that's how it started when they say fusion in the old days. You know, it was people that, you know, were crossing different types of food. They were, you know, they do right. it with design where they do modern house and then some antique furnitures to add to it. So fusion is very important in any and every kind of business, in my opinion. Very cool. Hopefully, hopefully we'll give people some a little bit of license to think a little bit more creatively. So 
we should talk about the elephant in the room, which is COVID. There is probably no industry harder hit than restaurants and hospitality. So how has that whole experience been for you? And, and how have you managed to claw back so far? Well, I mean, COVID uh, for us uh, was by far the, the worst thing that's ever happened, not just to us, but to the um, hospitality industry globally. Uh, it's something nobody ever saw coming. It's something we've never experienced. And it came so quick. I mean, we knew it was happening in other countries, but all of a sudden it hit the city and there was rumors on Monday about shutting down and on Thursday we shut down. Um, it really affected us. Um, for me personally, I consider my company uh, Inc. a small, large company, if that makes sense. We started mm -hmm. small, we've become large, but the company is ran with a small group of people and partners that are oversee the operations and um, having built a team of roughly two and a half thousand people um, was really my biggest pride and joy having that many people employed and happily employed and and constantly moving uh, with the time and ahead of the time. Uh, it was very sad the day we had to announce to more than 98% of the staff that we were letting them go. And your staff, you had what, 2,600 employees? A little over 2,500, a little yeah. over 2,500 in Canada. And, uh, you know, we went down to, I believe, like maybe 12 people, 13 people. Wow. So it, it really, it's like somebody letting the air out of the tires. I, and that moment, I wasn't thinking financial. I was thinking, you know, it's taken me 36 years to build a team um, and the team is dismantled. And, you know, after two, three, four months of being shut down, six months, I don't know what, you know, uh, some of some of uh, the food, you know, beverage, hospitality industry, I don't know when it will come back fully. Um, you might not be able to bring back everybody, either because business is not 100% or people have moved on um, so it's definitely the biggest blow. I think financially we'll come back strong, but building the team for me is the essence of any company having a strong team, strong staff. Um, and we felt very much like a family type of environment because that's how I like to feel that the company is ran even uh, though we have a lot of senior staff, they all take cue from myself, which is really run it um, in, a, in a very friendly family manner, very professionally, attention to detail. Uh, we have a very strong uh, finance department, but we run it a little more on a friendly basis since I'm still at the helm and I started with seven employees, so it's, uh, it's a long way. Right, right. Um, do you have a feeling for how things are going to get uh, uh, get better? Do, do, do you think, well, some of these properties I probably won't be able to reopen? I think anywhere where um, as a mass, uh, you know, of people uh, other than are seated in a restaurant is at least a year away, in my opinion. We do a lot of concerts. 
we do a lot of DJ driven events with 4,000, 6,000 people on a regular basis. I'm talking about what once uh, every week, 10 days, that part of the business is not coming back anytime soon. Right. Um, so many, uh, so know, many restaurants, sorry, so many restaurants pivoted to takeout. I've, you're all about the event, about the scene. Uh, so, so were you able to do any of that? Well, we have three restaurants doing that. And I'll yeah. tell you, we keep going because it's good for morale. We keep a few people employed and we keep our name out there. But nobody that I know in the city that's doing takeout is making money. It's strictly a vehicle to um, to keep your name out in the right. market and, and just have something continuity. to keep. Yeah, continuity, keeping your, you know, your brains going a little bit. Um, you know, um, that's all it is. But on the financial side, uh, the only people making money with that business are people that were in that business before. So they're known, uh, fast food, uh, delivery service, whatever. But when you take great restaurants um, that are known for, you know, a great environment, a great service, uh, hot meal from the oven or the stove to your table. Um, once you transfer that into a styrofoam box and have someone pick it up 10 minutes later and deliver it, and that whole experience is gone. Now all you're right. doing is just eating. And people yeah. don't need you know, to eat from great restaurants every night. It's not, no longer an experience. Now it's just a meal. Right. Now, do you think that uh, when the health conditions allow, uh, will we go back to where we were in February, March, uh, or will the world be changed in terms of the sort of entertainment people are looking for, their willingness to, 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 to pay for entertainment, for environment, for fusion? I think it'll be a while before everything comes back 100%. However, I think... I do think it's going to come back strong. Um, it will take a while to get up there. It'll come back strong and it will continue to build. But it's not something where as if there's an announcement tomorrow about us reopening, where I'm going to see, uh, you know, the floodgates open to, you know, an overwhelmed amount of people in restaurants uh, or bars. Um, I think... Speaking to people, it's a split 50-50. 50% of people can't wait to open and go out running. And some people now are a little bit, uh, you know, um, considering, not sure if I'm ready to go out yet. Right, right, right. You talked earlier on about being focused and having a target. When you opened your first nightclub, did you have any idea that you would be running like a, a, a an empire of restaurants and clubs or were you just trying to do one thing right? And how did you evolve into that uh, company with, with multiple properties? I might sound a bit, um, <laughs> Go ahead. you know, weird, but Don't be I mean, here. From, from day one, I knew my long-term plan. I, uh, I was very focused. I knew I would build something quite large. I always, uh, spoke about it to friends and family and, and people that I employed that we will grow this business. Um, and for me, it was never a nightclub. It was a business. Definitely a nightclub 
uh, and entertainment, but I was very focused on making it um, um, a real part of the industry. And in 83, nightclubs were not considered anything. You know, people did not think that great of you owning nightclubs or running nightclubs. It was a stigma with nightclubs. But um, I always had a plan. I always knew I would get into the restaurant business. And my ultimate goal, uh, which is the ultimate goal for anybody in hospitality, is to own a hotel. And our hotel is meant to travel. And what I mean by that, it's, it's a brand that we built. So we've invested a lot of money and time and energy into building something that can travel globally and become a brand, just like any of the the big hotel brands. Um, you know, I was, and I always looked for talent. For me, talent is crucial. I always look for the new upcoming or what could become a star, whether it's a designer or a chef. I was never one to just go and take the easy route and hire the biggest designer, the biggest chef. I, I do part of that sometimes uh, where I need to, but I'm, for the most part, always looking about who's cooking in town that is, uh, you know, getting a great review and could become a celebrity chef. Who is the newest, hottest uh, new DJ or band that we can hire um, or interior designer? You know, um, I hired interior designers that there's three interior designers that I've worked with that are now considered one of the top. I don't know, 50 in the world maybe. Same with chefs. I've worked with almost every celebrity chef in in Toronto and a couple of them were named top chef in Canada. Um, you know, I designed clothing. Uh, I worked with uh, uh, a lot of great designers to design uniforms. Uniforms, be, I when I opened um, my first restaurant, uh, um, Ocean, I created one of the coolest, I hired one of the greatest local designer, spent a lot of time doing uniform. Same with Acrobat, my second restaurant. That was the first restaurant ever to have a, a DJ hanging over the dining room with screens that would open up at 10, 30, 11, and the whole place would become after 11 o'clock into a different concept totally. Um, and they all proved to be um, you know, a great success. And, and I was able to tell that the city was starving and the city was thirsty for new concepts, new ideas um, to come through. Right. Now, design is important to you personally, obviously, and you're a bit of an icon. You're one of these guys who dresses in black, but you're not a Steve Jobs who wore the same thing every day. <laughs> you have a bit more style than that. How important is your personal style in the brand that you're building in the business that you've built? I think it should be um, a reflection of who you are, what your company um, you know, is. So I, I do like the color black and that's all I wear. However, I wear it well. It's, it's um, uh, it's well put together. It's uh, uh, new designers. It's uh, great fashion. If I'm going to spend a good part of my evening in the clubs one night, I dress a little more edgy. Uh, <laughs> uh, if I'm in the restaurants, I am always on a little more edgy, but 
I keep in mind that I'm in a certain environment and 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 I should look and 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 present myself as somebody who's behind um, the restaurant, the bar, the club, and and people take take to take to that. They 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 want to see what you're wearing, how you're presenting yourself, how you speak to people, how you stand. I think it definitely um, is a big part of the company and. Um, my staff know, senior staff, junior staff, that looking good and, and, and maintaining a certain look and vibe is crucial, whether we're at work or not. I think it's very important that we represent the company we work for or we own and run. Right. I think that I, th- I think that's a really interesting uh, lesson for entrepreneurs to take away. I don't think we. I don't think entrepreneurs in general spend enough time thinking about the impression they make and how they appear and, you know, what theatricality might be required of their role. So it's great to have you be able to articulate it like that. Charles, tell me a little bit of, we've talked about the size of your business now, but you know, we haven't really talked about some of the pressures and tough decisions you've had to make along the way in order to get to this to, to this position. So what are some of the hard lessons that you've learned that you'd like to share with the Startup Canada audience? Um, I mean, uh, for me, making sure that I'm aware of the city I'm in, uh, especially now with our expansion, uh, what the audience is like, uh, what the spending is like, what the temperature of the economy is like, what the weather is like. Um, It's very important, you know, to do a lot of homework beforehand. And anytime when we race through something to get open, uh, I learned that was, uh, and I've done that mistake a few times, which I I don't and I will never do again, is rushing an opening, um, not being ready. It does not pay to open when you're not ready or to launch a product when you're, it's not ready or a website, anything it is that you're doing in any type of business, you have to be ready 100% and make sure it, it's something that's almost 100% proof before you go. Can you tell me about, it, about what happened one time when you weren't ready? Because uh, entrepreneurs are always in a hurry. They're always setting deadlines and, you know, th- th- there's a concept of you know minimum viable product let's get out there with the least we can and you're you're suggesting a different uh, approach well you know in the hospitality industry the worst thing you could do is open and it's happened to me and I'm not ready the the, the, the uh, construction is not 100% complete uh, you know I've had to paint doors the day of because the actual doors didn't show up and then people have paint on their hands you've had uh, you know, unfinished uh, bar and that is not very functional. Um, and one of the worst is if you are opening a restaurant uh, um, or any type of, you know, service, uh, you know, that you're open and, you're, you know, the product is not ready. Whether you're selling a smoothie or, or a lobster or any type of product that you're selling, uh uh, if if it's not ready and well tested, um, then it, it's the number one cause of failure. You lose um, you lose uh, 
the confidence of the client. You lose, more importantly, confidence of the staff because the staff at the end of the night, especially after opening, if they've been beaten up by the customers, um, their, their morale is down and their performance is definitely affected. So it's very crucial you take your time and no matter how much you think you need to rush, it's for me 100% the wrong um, the wrong answer. So will you delay a scheduled opening now if you if you're not ready, will you take that hit in order to do it right? 100%. Yeah. We 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 delay all the time. We try and meet um, you know opening dates, but we mo for the most part are delayed. Uh, there's always unforeseen um, you know, uh, problems and we end up delaying the project. Whereas in the old days, I used to open no matter what. And, you know, with experience, you learn that it just works against you and it's not, it's not good for the business. Now tell me about the attraction of Miami and Dubai and uh, what you've had to learn about growing internationally because that's, uh, you know, multiplying the problems that you face. Yes, I mean, uh, Dubai for me is a small piece of our business. It's uh, somebody who reached out and wanted to uh, do, uh, you know, uh, a partnership, uh, you know, uh, in Dubai, and we went there. It was very interesting. I come from the Middle East. I come from Lebanon, so it was interesting for me to be there for a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a city that is uh, forever growing and falling behind because it's, you know, it grows so quickly that if it's not real growth, it ends up falling back. Um, I have learned quite a bit, um, and the experience being all the way on the other side of the continent is definitely, uh, uh, you know, eye-opening. But Miami, for me, is the main attraction. Um, uh, Miami uh, has been on my radar for 25 years, and it's because my first time going there was 25 years, and I always dreamt of opening a business there for many reasons other than the natural beauty and the ocean and the beach and the weather, the amount of tourists that go there, um, the amount of, uh, you know, you have people from Europe. Uh, it, it, it depends on the time of year. You will get, you know, a season where it's all Europeans and then it's all from South America and then it's all from North America. So it's a city that really attracts people from all over the world. And, uh, you know, you're guaranteed good weather all year round. And it's a sophisticated beach environment. Um, there's a lot of people with money. There's a lot of sophistication. There's a lot of people that are looking to uh, have um, great meals, great entertainment, amazing hotels. Um, it, honestly, it's it's one of the most exciting places in the world to be in the hospitality industry. It f moves very quickly. Um, the ratio of, of uh, closures in Miami is 60 to 70% of the amount of people that fail in Miami. And that is because it's a fast moving city that's very demanding and uh, you need to be one of the best. And for that reason, uh, you know, the restaurant where I have now 
Biblos that's been there all, uh, six years was two different restaurants before from the U.S. and there are big restaurants in the U.S. One of them today is one of the biggest restaurants in Vegas and New York, and they failed miserably in uh, in Miami. They didn't. Uh, they didn't know the territory, right? They did not know the territory, and for me, that's the biggest thing. I. Uh, I had to decide when I went to Miami whether to take a local partner, and there were two people that were more excited to become our partner um, locally in Miami. I took the hard route, which I'm not sure if, you know, and today I feel better about it, but I didn't want after so many years uh, in my career to go into a city, pick a partner who is well-known, and forever be somebody else's partner. So when you, if you come to Toronto and you partner up with me, you're forever Charles's partner in Toronto. I wanted to create my own company, my own name, um, um, in in Miami and in the U.S. For us, Miami is definitely a trampoline into the rest of the U.S. And I do have some cities that I have my eyes on. But I took the chance, and the first year was probably the, the worst year of my whole career Oops. because uh, not knowing the market, not knowing the suppliers, not you don't have a pool of staff to pull from. So, and Miami is very known, you know, to staff. You have 20 people on, uh, you know, on the schedule and only 16 show up. It's just what the city's like. It's very transient. Um, uh, so it was very difficult not to have a partner. I chose definitely the hard way to do it. I'm happier today because we have established Ink Entertainment in Miami and and um, definitely branching out to other cities in the U.S. soon to come in. Um, and like I said, we will have about 700 maybe staff by the end of 2020 in Miami. Wow. And we will be a buying force and an entertainment force and uh, we will grow much quicker from this point on. That's 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 incredible. How do you do your business plan is based on giving people new and something different. How do you roll that out? How do you scale that? Because you don't want to do, I presume you don't want to be Planet Hollywood, where every restaurant looks exactly the same. They're sort of odd and new, but they're all the same. Well, that's part of the tough part of what Ink Entertainment does. Uh, we're very unique. We're original. We're very original. Um, we don't try to copy. We don't try and roll out too much of the same. So Biblos, for example, there's three of them, but we want to be known as the people that bring you something new and exciting on a regular basis. One of the most exciting projects I ever did was about 15 years ago where I was a partner with Cirque du Soleil. I was the operating partner with Cirque du Soleil, uh, the Beatles, and um, MGM in Vegas. I ran um, and operated um, the Revolution Lounge, which was at the Mirage in Vegas for a few years okay. and for personal reason I pulled out of uh, Vegas uh, but you know uh, it was very exciting to be partners with three of the most you know uh, exciting uh, dynamic companies on the planet 
and I was chosen. Uh, they reached out to me, and um, I was chosen to be the operating partner. Um, and that was really the most exciting thing ever to land in Vegas and have the Beatles <laughs> and have uh, Cirque du Soleil, your partners, and MGM. The MGM, they, they own you know 70% of the hotels in right, Vegas. Right. It's funny. To me, it was exciting. As you and I have talked, I was actually reminded of Guy La Liberté, the, the, the founder of Cirque du Soleil, in his imagining, his fusion of circus and sophisticated entertainment and, 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 and appealing to sophisticated adults uh, with, with a new type of entertainment. And I was thinking, man, you should do something with them, but you've already done it. So, Well, we did it and we are working on a project together and we have been. It's not physically up yet, but we have been discussing and working on it. Unfortunately, with what happened with COVID, it's on hold now. But we had been working on a supper club uh, uh, where we joined forces and do a supper club um, in, in North America, uh, starting Toronto and Miami. So we've been friends for many, many years, and we're still hoping one day to really do this project again together. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I, I don't want to go to that tent in the winter, but I'd go to, I'd go to the supper club. That's fantastic. So... It sounds like you still have a lot of big ideas, and uh, it sounds like you, you're you're just beginning to really grow the business to where you want it to be. I, I truly think that in the last uh, seven, eight years, I feel that I've built um, the right team, um, the right caliber of people on my team to expand enormously um, and quickly. And really, um, I think a big part of my time on a daily basis is help strengthening and and uh, uh, making the foundation even um, more dynamic. So we, you know, putting the right amount, the right type of people together um, is very crucial because without the right foundation, you cannot grow. It's very crucial that the back of the house. The people behind the scene are really the strength of the company. They need to be the one driving it. They need to be the one watching it, whether it's on the financial side or the design side or the you know, social media side or marketing, or whatever part of the business it is. I really have gone out and have hired some of the best people. Um, even a couple of people have come on board that were working in Europe. Um, I never thought in my wildest dream I'd be hiring somebody to leave Switzerland and come work for me. You know, <laughs> like our marketing director who was in Switzerland nine years, um, you know, uh, is now working for us and has been here about four years now, five years. And that's, you know, really, I think, is a big part of the strength of the company is building that team, the foundation, uh that can really also withstand, for example, COVID-19. I think we will come out uh, uh, on top. We will come out uh, strong. Uh, we will be leaner and meaner and new ideas and thoughts. Uh, we're not going anywhere. We're here to stay and uh, we're happy. That's really exciting. I look forward to uh, seeing things really accelerating from you as soon as we get out of all this mess and uh, and moving forward. So that's great. Final question. 
our listeners are always looking for something, an idea, a, a concept, a tip, a piece of advice that they can run with right away. What, what, what do you think is the most actionable piece of advice that entrepreneurs can take from your experience and your track record? Um, really, um, I, I think the best piece of advice is always to you know, uh, not be somebody who's copying, but somebody who's a little more original, somebody who's focused, somebody who's on track. Um, um, I think to me is probably the most important thing to reinvest in, um, in the business, reinvest in the staff. Um, we spend uh, a big chunk of our money reinvesting in everything we do, whether it's uh, a system that we, we, we own and run or the staff, the staff training, um, reinventing what we're doing constantly. Um, you can never sit still thinking that you're on top and uh, you're doing very well and, uh, you know, fall asleep behind the wheel. You always have to be on your toes, especially, you know, if you're an entrepreneur who likes to stay uh, ahead of the, the, you know, the game. And, and that's what entrepreneurs do, you know. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to come up with the new thing. We're supposed to um, stay ahead of things. That's, that's beautiful because sometimes we forget that. Sometimes, especially after a few years in the business and you're just starting to, to feel a little bit secure, sometimes it's, it's tough to keep that edge to keep pushing that envelope. So thank you so much for that reminder. This has been Charles Habooth of Inc. Entertainment in Toronto. It's, it's an incredible story. And as I said, we're looking forward to seeing how you continue to thrive and, and succeed and push those brands out across to a, a much bigger and better audience. Thank you so much for all your advice about staying disciplined, building the right platform with the right people, and above all, looking for fusion, looking for creating ideas and always pushing the envelope. Thanks so much, Charles. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. We'll talk again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Please stay tuned for another minute to hear the latest startup community news and our upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.